Breaking news tonight. Historic acquittal. The final vote in the second impeachment trial of former President Trump. The Senate unable to convict. He is hereby acquitted of the charge in said article. Mr. Trump found not guilty for the second time, but multiple Republicans voted against him, and Mitch McConnell blasts the president after voting to acquit. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. The chaos on the Senate floor. Democrats calling for witnesses after newly revealed details of a phone call President Trump made on January the 6th. What the former president is saying now as the country tries to move forward. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa podcast. The impeachment trial of Donald Trump took a dramatic and unexpected turn Saturday with revelations from GOP House Representative Jamie Herrera Butler asserting that in a phone call to Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Trump initially tried to blame the attack on leftist members of Antifa. But when McCarthy insisted the mob was compromised of the president's supporters, Trump told the top House Republican, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. While the January 6th attack was ongoing, here are the details. When McCarthy finally reached the president on January 6th, and asked him to publicly and forcefully call off the riot. The president initially repeated the falsehood that it was Antifa that had breached the Capitol. McCarthy refuted that and told the president that these were Trump supporters. If this were any other president with a jury that actually cared about preserving democracy, this revelation would be the smoking gun Republicans needed to vote to convict. Here, under no uncertain terms, the former president was voicing his support for the rioters in the midst of their rampage. McCarthy himself unleashed a barrage of obscenities on Trump, asking him, who the fuck do you think you're talking to, as rioters smashed in his windows? Was Trump worried about his safety or that of Vice President Pence? No, in his mind, they got what they deserved. The answer is no. At no point was the president informed the vice president was in any danger because the House rushed through this impeachment in seven days with no evidence. There is nothing at all in the record on this point. Had he been convicted, Trump would have been barred from seeking federal office in the future and stripped of his pension, Secret Service detail, and other perks afforded him by the office of the presidency. As it stands, though, Trump's acquittal was never really in doubt. The raw political math was simply too daunting and required a Senate supermajority to convict with 17 jurors needed to cross the aisle. And when you look at the senators who are aligned so strongly with the president, they include Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and others who have aspirations to run in 2024. Despite this, Democrats meticulously detailed the case that showed the events of that day from many dimensions and illustrated a straight line of intent between Trump's actions and the destruction carried out by rioters who threatened the lives of members of Congress, their aides, Capitol staff, and scores of police officers. Five people died that day, and more than 140 police officers were injured. Today, 1776, bitch! 
If Trump was facing a real jury instead of a pack of sycophantic Republican senators who made up their mind to acquit him before the trial, he would be facing real conviction and prison based on the sheer fact and evidence against him. Yet, none of this mattered to Senate Republicans who feared the wrath of their MAGA constituents more than the judgment of history. Or members of Congress say, gee, I'm not so sure I'll get uh, taken to, uh, to task back, back home. I might even be attacked. I say that's the burden you have because the Constitution is worth defending. And every one of our predecessors was willing to climb those hills in, uh, in, in Omaha and to hit the beaches while they were being attacked savagely uh, by uh, machine gun fire. So I don't have any uh, anything to say about those who are acting in fear now. And for Donald Trump, he once again burnished his image as the Teflon Don of presidents and will likely use the impeachment vote as a means of purging the GOP of those who voted against him. Trump's own defense, led by lawyer Michael Vandeveen, was a weak and pathetic attempt to deflect the blame upon the GOP's favorite boogeyman, Antifa. He then moved on and tried to connect Democrats' own words to those of the president in a moment of false equivalency that is likely headed for Saturday Night Live in its absurdity. We do begin the readout tonight with Donald Trump's second impeachment defense, which frankly, I mean, it wasn't a defense, okay? I don't know if you watched it, but in case you missed it, let me just sum it up for you. Just think Fox News primetime cold open or OANN or Newsmax. It was literally a right-wing TV show. And perhaps most importantly, the kind of right-wing TV show that the Republican senators probably have on in their offices right now and at home. And that Republican base voters mainline day and night. Calling the House charge that he incited insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th a preposterous and monstrous lie, Trump lawyers offered a mix of lies and distortion that tried to match Trump's own combative style. Is about Democrats trying to disqualify their political opposition. One of the first people arrested was a leader of Antifa. This is not whataboutism. It is constitutional cancel culture. You, along with your allies in the media, attempted to cancel and censor members of this chamber. The idea, it seemed, was to simply go for broke. With acquittal guaranteed, the Trump legal strategy was crafted to appeal mainly to Donald Trump and his MAGA followers. Team Trump performed a MAGA greatest hits, consisting of bullshit grievances, whataboutisms, lies, and distortions. Plus, a treatise on cancel culture, witch hunts, and a list of conservative media talking points that seem strategically inserted for an audience of one. Like every other politically motivated witch hunt the left has engaged in over the past four years, this impeachment is completely divorced from the facts, the evidence, and the interests of the American people. The Senate should promptly and decisively vote to reject it. No thinking person could seriously believe that the President's January 6th speech on the ellipse was in any way an incitement to violence or insurrection. The suggestion is patently absurd on its face. Nothing in the text could ever be construed as encouraging, condoning, or enticing unlawful activity of any kind. That said, much of his blather was crafted to allow Senate Republicans enough cover to vote for acquittal. 
In this grab bag of excuses was something for everyone. It also reflected the argument being promoted by Trump defenders on conservative media outlets and was part of an effort to offer a more defiant defense pushed by the former president, who was still in a rage over lawyer Bruce Castor's weak and rambling defense last week. Impeachment. Yeah, they threw a lot of stuff in it in violation of Rule 23. Rule 23 says you cannot combine counts. It's a defect in their entire case. It's one of the four reasons why you can vote to acquit in this case. Jurisdiction, Rule 23, due process, and the First Amendment. They all apply in this case. The strategy by Mr. Trump's lawyers was to prove that Mr. Trump's call for his followers to fight like hell in a speech shortly before members of the crowd stormed the Congress on January 6th was no different than anti-Trump remarks made by Speaker Nancy Pelosi of California, Representative Maxine Waters of California, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, and other members of Congress. The defense counsels put a lot of videos out in their defense, playing clip after clip of black women talking about fighting for a cause or an issue or a policy. It was not lost on me as so many of them were people of color and women, black women. After showing random clips of Democratic lawmakers and liberal commentators seemingly endorsing protests over the summer that were often accompanied by unrest, Van Deveen called the impeachment of Trump a witch hunt. He said this unprecedented effort is not about Democrats opposing political violence. It is about Democrats trying to disqualify their political opposition. It is constitutional cancel culture. History will record this shameful effort as a deliberate attempt by the Democratic Party to smear, censor, and cancel, not just President Trump, but the 75 million Americans who voted for him. That is what this trial is really about. It's the only existential issue before us. It asks for constitutional cancel culture to take over in the United States Senate. While there was audible laughter in the Senate chamber from both lawmakers and observers over the patently ridiculous legal argument being made, in the end, it just didn't matter. I haven't laughed at any of you. And there's nothing laughable here. And now for the main event. Trump's legal team in making arguments that seem laughable to folks with half a brain are in fact speaking to a deeply disturbed and brainwashed portion of this country. These are the people who believe in the existence of Jewish space lasers, lizard people, the deep state, QAnon, and are susceptible to a host of conspiracies pushed upon them by Trump and conservative media. They live in an alternate reality where what you and I believe to be the facts are not the facts at all. They don't look at the world the same way. In my conversation last week with Jared Holt, who was name-checked by House Impeachment Manager Stacey Plaskett as the foremost expert today dealing with right-wing extremism, we discussed how what happened January 6th was an insurgency and rather than being some final spasm of violence, was instead the beginning of something far more frightening. 
Those are the immediate consequences and our actions will reverberate as to what are the future consequences. The extremists who attacked the Capitol at the president's provocation will be emboldened. All our intelligence agencies have confirmed this. It is not house managers saying that. There are quite literally standing by and standing ready. There are tens of millions of Americans who either support or sympathize with QAnon. Think about that for a moment. Tens of millions of people. And then you wonder, who are these people speaking to when they talk? It's these folks, the disaffected millions, who have been brainwashed in their basement by a vast right-wing media ecosystem that has turned itself not just into any army of keyboard warriors, but real, violent insurgents who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Still, I have no idea who these people are and what they believe. I know a lot of Republicans and know a lot of Trump supporters. Hell, I created Donald Trump as a political entity. I launched his presidency. But what is foreign to me are these far-out actors who have jumped down the rabbit hole into this larger extremist world. For answers to this, I turn to my next guest, Andrew Callahan, the young journalist behind the incredible new show, All Gas No Breaks, which is available on YouTube and Patreon. With his signature disarming personality, Callahan has spent the past year traveling the country by RV and makes a point of visiting places and talking to people the mainstream media ignores. That this happens to make up the bulk of MAGA country has given him unique access to everyone from the Proud Boys to COVID deniers and every stripe of conspiracist. He was on the ground all summer in Portland as the city tore itself apart and was on the scene in Minneapolis for the beginning of the George Floyd protests. His access to these events and his point of view provided me with a great understanding of how and why Trump MAGA followers believe what they do. So let's listen now to that conversation. Andrew, I recently watched the episode of your show, all Gas, No Breaks from Portland, Oregon, and thought that it looked like a dress rehearsal for the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. In yesterday's impeachment hearings, when it first was starting, the House impeachment managers were making the case that the riots were a planned conspiracy that went back months prior. Now, in your reporting from Portland and elsewhere, meeting groups like the Proud Boys did you pick up a vibe that what you were witnessing was leading towards something bigger and planned like what happened in D.C. on January 6th? I think that what happened in D.C. was by all measures pretty much sporadic. I mean, I don't think there was a plan per se hey, that this is going to be the day that we storm the Capitol because there were several events before that. There was the Million MAGA March on November 10th or 11th or 12th or whatever. Then there was something on December 13th, which was also a, a Capitol protest. I think that uh, it was a series of events that gradually escalated, you know, group paranoia, group frustration. And I think that, that it all culminated on the 6th. I think there was a couple different things going on. There was uh, the QAnon camp, which is the conspiracy camp. There was the religious camp. Then there was the sort of militia camp, right? So the, the militia camp is all about the guns, you know. Biden's going to take away the guns. He's going to make guns legal, that kind of stuff. The QAnon camp is all about the satanic pedophile elite controlling people's minds and Lucifer is behind it and he's going to use the vaccine to put microchips in our body. Then there's the religious camp, which is Trump is God's candidate. Anything that Trump's not involved in is satanic. 
I think they all coalesced for this just like explosion of frustration that happened on the 6th. But vibe-wise, I wouldn't say it was different from any other of the previous rallies in D.C. I think there was actually more people at the Million Mega March in November, which followed the uh, result of the Joe Biden victory. Uh, it was predictable. Um, very interesting. But no, I don't think it was necessarily planned. I mean, I'm sure that there was an intention of, you know, making noise and being like, we did this, like we're in there. But no, I don't think it was like a, a long-form conspiracy. But when you met with the groups like the Proud Boys, they did it a lot of this through social media. And social media obviously played a massive role in getting everybody to this location all at the same time. Now, maybe all the different various groups, as you just described, were not in on it all at the same time. But how would you then describe or how would you characterize the groups all meeting at the exact same time basically wearing very similar costumes, which of course were the MAGA hats and the uh, MAGA flags, and many of whom came in full military garb. There, To me, there just appears that there had to be some coordination greater than just like the Million Man March when people just showed up for one specific cause. Well, I don't think it was the intention of every person at that event to storm the Capitol. I think that uh, Trump described it on Twitter as the storm coming. I follow, I follow a lot of right-wing Facebook groups. They described January 6th as the storm. I knew that they wanted to make some kind of noise. I just think it happened to be, I think it was like a group reaction. Like if, you, if you've ever been at a riot before, you know, people are mad. They're figuring out how to channel it. You know, one window gets broken. Then that's 10 windows, 20 windows. Before you know, just people into the building one after the other just riled up like with 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 wartime in their eyes so you know i don't think that it was planned like you know it was some secret message conveyed but i think that it was definitely communicated on apps like telegram and parlor that um you know there was going to be something serious that was going to happen that day um you know one thing i think about is part of the reason that nobody saw it coming really is because of you know the way that social media platforms like facebook and twitter have censored a lot of voices on the right you know i'm not gonna i don't really have that much of an opinion about that but i definitely think it creates echo chambers like parlor where everyone on the site is a deep platform right winger which sort of acts as like i said echo chambers to fester a violent ideology because you're just pushing people to the extreme uh, i think that's what happened well when you said that he donald thought that this storm was coming I thought he was referring to Stormy Daniels was going to show back up to the White House, but I guess that's not what he was thinking, right? I saw, now, as a Stormy, my man, that was a good one. It was really sincere how you apologized, and I thought that was a really big thing of you to do. Well, she deserved it. But a common refrain from these militia groups is a belief that Antifa poses a persistent threat as if there was some large standing army of the radical left waiting to invade the American suburbs. Now, all reports, though, from the FBI and law enforcement state that Antifa is more of an idea and a loose collective than any one specific thing. Now, again, based on your reporting on the ground and folks that you met with and interviewed, who and what is Antifa? Kind of describe this for my listeners. I think it's a, a loose network, loose social network of anti-fascist organizers who were mostly concerned with uh, direct action and mutual aid. Um, I think that the, the misconception about Antifa is that they have any goal besides 
doing action and where they're from. Like, for example, like for anti-fascist protesters in Portland, they don't plan to go into middle America setting, setting fire to Cracker Barrel in Idaho. That's not their plan. The difference is that when the Proud Boys and groups like that, they go to liberal cities like Portland to antagonize, right? So the Proud Boys host a rally in Portland to be like, look at us, you know, let's go, let's fight. You know what I mean? Whereas Antifa, regardless of how you feel about their tactics, because I mean, I have mixed opinions too, um, they mostly just are concerned with defending their community outside threats in the way that they see fit. Like I'm from Seattle, I'm from Capitol Hill. I grew up in the exact area where the occupied protest was, like two blocks away from it. You know, they're much more concerned with occupying and radicalizing their spaces than they are expanding elsewhere. It's not a territorial organization like ISIS. But, you know, I think that wearing all black definitely scares the shit out of right wingers. And it was easy to create a domestic enemy for Trump. What do you think? Do you, do you, as someone who knows Trump, do you think that um, he was really concerned with Antifa as, as a threat or do you think he just wanted to create an enemy? Well, I don't think Donald Trump knows even what Antifa stands for, let alone um, who they are. First of all, I don't believe that they are an organization. I don't believe that they have an office that you can, uh, they're not certainly a, an LLC or a, an INC, a corporation, uh, where even if you wanted to donate money to Antifa, that she can. As you stated, they're a individualized set of groups of individuals who have a common thread of anti-fascist um, ideology. But I am curious because you stated that you have opinions about Antifa. What are those opinions and where do they come from? Well, I'm from Seattle and um, I, I think that direct action, which refers to typically offensive action on places like Starbucks and uh, police headquarters, um, I, I understand it. I wonder what the long-term effectiveness will be because I, I try to think about it, like going back to the beginning of the protest movement, right? The BLM protest movement was by and large, like completely, completely peaceful. Right. But there were instances where it popped off like in Minneapolis and, and a lot of cities in the immediate aftermath of the George Floyd murder. As we see, like right wing media just replays these same images over and over again. So now every time there's a peaceful protest or like they just call it looting and burning, it kind of becomes this replayed image. So I wonder if like how effective that was. But then again, it's not really my my say, but I guess time will tell. Because every time right wingers they they capitalize on any time there's there's violent protest or property damage is done and say look at these terrorists they don't believe in anything but they're bringing down their own communities and then the message of, of black liberation and stuff like that kind of gets drowned out sometimes but not always. Hi folks, Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode: the Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests, and there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Check out Tuesday's episode with Rami Sethi, who will teach you to find your dream job. And I recently waded into his deep, back catalog to listen to an amazing February 2018 interview with Frank Abagnale, the master forger and scammer whose story was the basis of the movie Catch Me If You Can. I also listened to a recent episode where Jordan talks with science writer Eric Vance and discusses the science of the brain and suggestibility which left me God smacked and wondering how times I've been deceived in this manner. All in all, fascinating stuff. 
There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really bothered me here in New York when the Black Lives Matter movement was taking place. And there are always going to be opportunists, no matter what, right? So these people know that there's going to be a Black Lives Matter peaceful protest, whether it was in front of Trump Tower or all the way downtown where they went. And then there's this group of individuals, as I stated, that know that they're going to be there, but their purpose is not Black Lives Matter. And it's irrelevant whether they're black, they're brown, they're white. It makes no difference. They're there to smash a fucking window and to grab as many televisions and as many telephones and as many items that they can grab as they can. Now, what was interesting is I saw this and I don't know if it's, if it's real or not, but during the Black Lives Matter protest, there was a smashing of, I believe it was a Best Buy um, location downtown and a Rolls Royce uh, Jeep, which is like $450,000, pulled up to the front where they had just smashed through the front and 25 or 30 people came running out. They loaded up this Rolls Royce SUV and then the guy took off. Now, I just thought that that was... Uh, had to be one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I was really curious whether or not that they stole that Jeep because somebody who's driving a $450,000 certainly doesn't need a $450,000 vehicle, doesn't need to steal five, 10, 20 items from Best Buy. So it right. certainly didn't make any sense to me. But it really bothered me because I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement really wanted to portray something. They really wanted to get in their their message across, and they did so in a peaceful way. And when you speak to the right-wingers onto this, the first thing they say is that Black Lives Matter is a violent Antifa offshoot, that their goal is not about Black lives. It's really about destruction. It's about looting. As you say, it's burning down property. It's wreaking havoc. And that can't be farther from the truth and there was unfortunately no way to stop that really small group of opportunists that came in at the last moment. And if you notice, while the Black Lives Matter protest is, say, 250 yards in front, this group always trails to the back. And that's where they cause all the damage, which I always found to be interesting that the they're not in the middle of the group, 
they stay towards the back of the group so that they can do what they want to do. Yeah. And I, I think you hit it right there. And that, that's part of the problem is that, you know, people need to stop focusing so much on the what, you know, oh, there was this many dollars of property damage done to a target in Minneapolis and start to really think about, you know, why, you know, what would compel a group of protesters to put their lives at risk, put their families and futures at risk to express something that they really care about. And, you know, like, like you said, like when, when I go to all these Trump rallies, they would say BLM, they would say burn, loot, murder. You know what I mean? And that's a direct result of people zooming in on those bad eggs and seeing the people who decide to be opportunists and just get a bunch of shoes and shit like that and act like that's what, that, that's what it was all about. It's not what it's about. It's about police brutality. It's about sy systemic injustice. There's so much more that's below the surface there. And um, so sometimes when I say I have mixed feelings about groups who do like violent direct action, you know, it's not because I disagree with what they're doing necessarily, because I, I, it's not my position. I think that however they feel is valid. It's I wonder, you know, the longevity of their message might get drowned out by people who, on the right wing who choose to just focus again and again on like the building that got burned, the windows that got broken, as if that is more important than like black lives. So that, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. I support all the protests. You know, there's no, I don't have any opinions about a good or bad protester, but I wonder, you know, about the effectiveness of direct action in the long term. I guess we'll have to see. Maybe it might work out, you know, but I guess who knows. It's interesting. What Now, you said that the right-wingers are saying BLM stands for what? They typically say, they say either burn, loot, murder, or Biden loves minors. Huh, interesting, because you know what we say about MAGA, what do you say? This applies to all of those that were there on January 6th at the insurrection. My ass got arrested. And I hope that all of them end up doing serious time for trying to take over the Capitol and to the destruction and the damage that they caused and that they continued to cause. So those of them who have those MAGA hats understand it stands for my ass got arrested. Now, if you would, Andrew... Take my listeners through what it was like to be in the middle of those incredibly violent nights in Portland. Were you ever afraid for your own safety? Well, I mean, one thing to know about Portland is that, you know, the violence was certainly from the National Guardsmen and the Portland Police Bureau on the protesters. You know what I mean? They are the ones shooting rubber bullets and tear gas. I got shot with rubber bullets. I got hit with tear gas with a microphone in my hand, you know, obviously identified as press. They don't care. I wasn't really scared for my life because, I mean, it's this choreography that happened every night at the Justice Center in downtown Portland. It was like the, the protesters would show up, National Guard would show up, they'd shoot a round of tear gas that would decimate the crowd by half, the half would come back, they'd shoot more tear gas, a quarter would come back, maybe six rounds, so there'd be like 10 protesters left. Uh, I mean, getting tear gas is pretty scary. And in Portland, they were actually using expired CS tear gas, which is uh, actually not legal. So a lot of people have developed uh, complicated respiratory infections. And I had trouble breathing for like probably a month after the, that happened. But yeah, Portland, Portland was nuts. Portland always has been. Pacific Northwest always will. We also have really brutal police forces. Seattle police, you know, have I've known people who have been murdered by them. Portland police, you know, Kwanis Hayes, he was murdered by Portland police unarmed. So yeah, Portland was interesting. And I'm curious to see how that, that protest movement will develop because I think that in this Joe Biden era, now that Trump is gone, I think a lot of people feel like they've defeated the boogeyman, right? Oh, now that we got this orange guy out of the White House, we can just kind of sit back and say, thank God, you know, everything's going to go in the right direction. But, you know, you know, for, for impoverished communities, nothing's really changing right now. And, and police aren't changing, you know, culturally things aren't that much better. Hopefully they will be, but I wonder, you know, 
when the next George Floyd happens, hope, hoping it doesn't, when the next unarmed black man or, or woman is killed by law enforcement and we take to the streets again, I don't know if the numbers will be as high. You know, without Trump, without anti-Trump sentiment to rally behind, I'm not sure if the protest movement will have the same leverage that it did. It was kind of a perfect storm. And as you can see, you know, all these corporations took up, you know, they got BLM themed tote bags at Forever 21. You know, it kind of became this corporatized commodified movement because they were like, you know, fuck Trump with Trump out, you know, and everyone's like, oh, Biden's awesome. You know, first female black vice president. I don't know if it's going to be the same, but I think Portland and Seattle, the resistance remains. But nationwide, I guess we'll have to see. I'm curious. What do you think? It's a really tough question to to answer because, again, I'm not Nostradamus. I don't have, obviously, that crystal ball in order. If I did, I'd like to be able to have a crystal ball when they're going to finally respond to my habeas corpus action so I can get off this home confinement and start doing what I really want to do. But, yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you that right now there has not been any significant advances whether it's in um, how police need to respond to the citizenry. Um, certainly prison reform has absolutely not been um, dealt with at all under the Trump administration, despite the fact that our former narcissistic sociopathic idiot-in-chief you know, held up a piece of paper and stated that I have done more for prison reform than any president in history, um, other than Abraham Lincoln. I mean, everything that he does, of course, was always compared to Abraham Lincoln. Why he chose Abraham Lincoln, I don't really know. But I don't know what's going to come next. My hope is that the Biden administration, who claims that they're that they're going to do this, and nothing would make me happier than to see a lot of a lot of social change. But Look, we do all have to acknowledge, though, that Black Lives Matter has really brought the issue to the front of the, you know, of the line here. And, you know, as it continues, um, I do see some changes, hopefully, in the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping so. I mean, given Biden's track record as far as mass incarceration goes, sometimes I wonder if he's just playing around. But I, I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I'm hoping that Biden and Harris are able to do something that has long-lasting impact. But right now. Um, I got to say, I'm kind of skeptical about that, but we'll see. Yeah, I think I think Biden is going to do it. I've heard already a number of reports that they're already putting together a well-qualified team of individuals to look at prison reform very seriously, including, for example, and I say this all the time, I'd like to see reality winner released. I mean, here she was, a whistleblower on Russian collusion, and this young lady is in for treason against the United States. Now, it's funny that they can have her in for treason, but yet not Donald Trump, not the Teflon Don, right, who has who holds an insurrectionist rally against the country in order to overtake the Capitol. They already have, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? They have ropes tied up in order to hang Mike Pence and kill Nancy Pelosi. You had a guy with a stunt stick with, what was it, like 900,000 volts? I mean, this is really no joke. And yet she's sitting doing prison time and Donald Trump is out enjoying the sun in Mar-a-Lago. I don't get it. Seems like every day, everywhere, practically everyone is connected on their devices. In fact, the average person was connected almost seven hours a day last year. And 64% of adults admit to taking online risks for convenience. And all that browsing, sharing, banking, and shopping makes life easy. 
but it can also expose personal information, making you vulnerable to cyber criminals. There's a lot to your digital life that can put you at risk. That's why Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to help keep it safe, with device security to help block hackers from devices, a VPN for online privacy, and LifeLock identity theft protection to help you keep what's yours, yours. No one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with the all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can be less worried about becoming another stat. You better believe that I use LifeLock to protect my information from the prying eyes of Trump spies and other trolls looking to expose my personal information or cause me financial damage. Do yourself a favor and protect yourself. It's that easy. Save 25% or more off your first year at Norton.com slash Cohen. That's Norton.com slash Cohen to save 25%. So knowing Trump, do you feel like he enjoyed watching the Capitol riot or do you feel like he was upset that they went so far because he got banned from Twitter? Oh, he absolutely appreciated it. And he continues to appreciate it because all Donald Trump cares about is that he is front and center in the news. He's relishing in the fact that they're not really talking about Joe Biden. All they're talking about is him. And it goes back to what might be my book, as you're reading in Disloyal. It's all about narcissistic sociopathic disorder. He doesn't care whether it's good news, bad news, good press, bad press, as long as it's press about him. As long as his name is front and center, he doesn't care. And in this specific case, he really doesn't care. You know why? Because Donald Trump knows that he's not going to be impeached. And he's going to then ride the fact that you have cowards, cowards in the, in the House that will not impeach him based upon the fact that they're afraid. They're afraid that he will start eventually tweeting or campaigning against them and that his supporters will vote these people out of office. So he knows in his in his heart that he's not going to get impeached and he's already calculated in his mind how he's going to ride that new victory into another 250 million from poor schnooks that just sent right. him their hard-earned dollars during a pandemic when money is so tight. That's Donald Trump in a nutshell. I got a question for you. What is the most sociopathic thing you've ever seen Donald Trump do? Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, I've seen, I talk about it actually in the book um, where he just went off on Don Jr., um, which he did all the time in front of people, uh, made no difference if they were employees, but many things. Um, I'd have to think about what was the worst, but his whole behavior, even towards his children, it's just, it's all about him. It doesn't matter. Um, about truth. It doesn't matter. Um, the fact that even if someone makes a mistake, there is no mistake that doesn't deserve a beatdown in Donald Trump's mind, especially if it was Don Jr. Especially there was some really weird dynamic between the two of them. But let me just get back to this. It was later revealed that the Proud Boys leader who you interviewed, this guy, um, Enrique Tarrio, has been a longtime FBI informant. Now, do you remember Enrique? And what was he like personally? 
I'm, I'm curious about what kind of personalities get swept up into these groups and what's their motivation in the first place for joining? I think camaraderie um, above, all, above all else. You know, a lot of them are ex-military, ex-fraternity. I think they want a sense of brotherhood. I think they feel like they have ideas about nationalism that are not politically correct and they want to be around people that I have to hold back from. I think that Enrique is a very media-trained and, and a very smart speaker. And I think that, especially after Charlottesville, you know, because Charlottesville was such a divisive moment for the alt-right, you know, because there was so much Nazi and Klan imagery. I think the Proud Boys wanted to dissociate from, from white nationalism. And so Enrique being Afro-Cuban and being, uh, you know, from an urban Miami background kind of allowed them to find a spokesperson that would allow them to dissociate from white nationalism in America. I think the Proud Boys are very interesting. I think that um, the, the, the fact that they played an instrumental role in the Capitol riots is sort of fascinating because they were so against the, the 11 Antifa protests and then boom, they're breaking shit at the Capitol. And it's like, you know, whatever is what we do, but you, we can do it, but you can't do it. So it was very interesting. Well, how would you then describe his personality? Is he an introvert? Is he an extrovert? Um, you know, did he seem to have the ability to garner friends while he was there? Were they, was it, was it friendships or was it, again, as you stated, camaraderie for a hatred for others? I'm just trying to understand him a little better, as, is my li as are my listeners, because it obviously takes an interesting individual, forgetting about starting one of these organizations, but even joining it. What do you think that they're lacking that's why they join and they, they put themselves at such a risk, whether it's life or whether it's incarceration. Now, I wouldn't say so much that um, you know, they are lacking something. I don't think that they believe that there's any sort of hateful um, intent behind what they're doing. I think they think the country is lacking certain things. So they believe that they're fighting the good fight. I mean, they're not going out there with just a pure sense of hatred. They're doing what they think is going to make the country better. And they think that, you know, men ha have been uh, emasculated by sort of, you know, what they see as new culture. They think that patriarchy is a good thing. They think that Islam is a bad thing. They think that uh, it's mostly a gender thing. But in general, they feel like old school America, like 1950s apple pie, leave it to beaver dad is like the epitome of an American man. So I think it's a, for, for them, it's reclaiming masculinity in an era where they think people have been kind of made out to be these like soy fed, you know, baristas or something. I don't know. That's how they think of other people. And uh, I don't know. It's, um, I think there's a lot of lost people who join organizations like that Far all far right men's groups in general. I think, you know, it's people who don't really have a, a solid set of friends that they trust and people are lonely, man. Like loneliness is huge. And uh, I think that that is like, you know, for, for lonely red blooded American individuals, the, the calling kind of adds up. You know, I've always been, I've been asked this question quite a bit, um, what I had just asked you. And, you know, one of the answers that I always give as to the existence of the Proud Boys, the Wolverine Warriors, and so on. One of the reasons that they despise the Black Lives Matter movement or the Me Too movement uh, as much as they do is, as you just stated, um, it's all about the status quo. They, it's not that they have a hatred for people of color or for women. It's just the fact that you belong there 
and we belong here. Right. And we like the status quo before, and we're going to fight. And if that means taking a life, we're willing to do that because we want our status quo. It's really a sick ideology. If you think about it, that's, I mean, I don't even know if that could be considered alt-right. It's like farther than the alt-right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's certainly gender-based. and they, they see BLM and Antifa as a more existential threat, more so than a uh, just like an organization that they have to fight. They see it as like the death of the American man the death of capitalism and the death of land ownership, just sort of like this apocalyptic worldview. A lot of them, you know, like for example, Enrique, he's a, you know, a Cuban from Miami and his family, a lot of his family was killed in Cuba under the Castro regime because they were landowners. So I think there's a lot of inherited trauma that goes into a lot of these people who join, joining any far, far left, far right organization. You, you have to have some sort of pent up, trauma, I think, going on, whether it's hatred-based trauma or whether you're victimized by, by something. So I think there's a lot of things going on there. But in general, I think the right is very diverse when it comes to different ideologies. And, and it's interesting because with the capital right, you're seeing a very, very large fragmentation of the right. You know, before, when I went to the Million Mega March, it was like you had Proud Boys and QAnon moms and like, you know, run-of-the-mill Bitcoin bros all coalescing together under the MAGA, the MAGA flag, you know, they had this one supreme leader, they could sort of set their disagreements aside and just agree, okay, we all like this guy. So we're all here. Now, I mean, the capital riot has created a lot of factionalism among the Republican Party. So it's interesting to watch that sort of break down, just that single event catalyzed this whole moral dilemma of like, wait a second, are we breaking shit now? Wait, we, we, we hated when, you know, Black Lives Matter broke a couple things like, fuck, is this who we are? And now everything is sort of kind of unraveling. We're seeing who really has, who really has morals, you know, because I don't think every Republican is an immortal piece of shit. You know what I mean? But I think anyone who thinks that it's justifiable to, to murder or destroy, you know, has some problems. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, in an interview with Twitch personality Hassan Piker, you bemoaned the amount of anti-Jewish bigotry that came up in his filming. For my listeners, not on Twitch, who is Piker? Who are his listeners and why do they and he spend so much time of their time going down these rabbit holes? So Hassan Piker is a left-wing uh, Twitch streamer who reacts to news and viral videos. He's a friend of mine. He used to work for the Young Turks. He's a cool dude. Uh, him and I went to this QAnon Save Our Children rally together in uh, Hollywood. And if you know about the Save Our Children movement, it's the idea that the Hollywood elite is involved in the trafficking of children and that they scare them so bad that they pee themselves and then they take the pee and extract a chemical from it called adrenochrome and they drink adrenochrome to live forever and get high. So they think that like Oprah and Tom Cruise are going to live forever because they drink the uh, urine of terrified children that are being held captive in the Hollywood hills. That's basically what's going on there. Um, and if you follow, just like I say, follow the money, if you follow the origins of all these conspiracy ideas, it leads back to early tropes, like from the protocols of elders of Zion, you know, early pre-Nazi Germany, just ideas of, you know, Jewish global world domination and, and pedophilia and Satan worship and the occult. It's all kind of the same shit, whether it's the flat earth or, or Q, whatever. If you follow anything far enough, like I say, follow the money, you kind of get to this weird same thing. The same framework. And a lot of people don't even know it's about Jews. I mean, it was invented to, about Jews, but like, I don't think that, you know, every conspiracy theorist walks around with this like deep anti Semitic hatred. 
I think it's more ingrained in the things they believe in. They might not even know because it's so programmed into the way these ideas are structured. Like the idea of a cabal, a global cabal pulling the strings, the deep state. You know, that was the same idea that Hitler used, you know, to get to remove. It was the same thing. You know, it's shadow government, puppeteers, puppet masters, you know, nefarious Jews. Uh, and it, some groups, you, if you dig hard enough, they'll just say like Zionists. They'll use light words to, to describe it. Rothschilds, you know, Rockefellers. They'll, they'll say shit that you're like, this guy's talking about Jews. <laughs> right. Though Rockefellers weren't Jewish. Um, my, they weren't. But who are? They think they are. <laughs> If you're worried that March is just around the corner and you've barely gotten anything done, take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this short month in minutes. Luckily, Policy Genius can help you check off two big items with ease, compare life insurance rates, and save 50% or more in the process. That means having more cash to do things you actually care about doing. Plus, it's 100% hassle-free. Their licensed experts work for you, not the insurance companies, so they can offer unbiased advice when you need it. So here's how it works. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that your loved ones would be taken care of if anything were to happen. So go to PolicyGenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Let's agree on one thing. Oprah looks great. Right. And Tom Cruise is not aging. I mean, this guy's still doing his own stunts on Mission Impossible. I've actually met Tom and he's really a wonderful guy. Um, so I, I don't know about this urine and so on. I'm pretty sure that if, in fact, that it stopped you from aging, I'm pretty sure that it would be well known and somebody would be hocking it on like um, one of these television infomercial programs like Donald Trump. But I just don't understand why they spend so much time going down a path that they know is, first and foremost, it is anti-Semitic. It's also stupid. My main problem with all conspiracies is this fundamental idea that human beings can hide secrets from the world. That's my biggest problem. It's just the idea that we are good at keeping secrets. If there's any infrastructure to stop whistleblowing on, on any level, it's crazy. We're flawed. We are not informational you know, lockboxes. People will say something on their deathbed. Just the idea that such large-scale operations can be happening behind closed doors, I've never believed. I, I think that there's shit that's out there that's too weird to be true, but it is true. You know, like, for example, a lot of people think that the moon is a, a base for lizard people that control our minds using solar technology, moon technology. You know, hey, show me the statistics, and I will tell you that we are, in fact, lizard children. But doesn't exist because if one fucking person in the world knew that there, there was lizard overlords, they would have to tell somebody. Imagine if you knew that, Michael. One of the first things that I asked Trump when I met up with him in the White House in the Oval Office was tell me about aliens, right? Do aliens actually exist? And he looked at me, he said, shut up. I mean, it was, I was just curious. I was hoping that he would spill the beans, but nope, he didn't. I do want to ask you though, Andrew, a lot of your show 
involves reporting from places that most people never visit or think about and speak with people whose own voices are um, largely ignored by the mainstream media. It's also these folks who compromise the bulk of the MAGA base or more often than not, prescribe or sympathize with um, QAnon or other right-wing extremist viewpoints. But when speaking to these folks, it's almost as if one second they're normal, and then the next, when engaged on politics with Trump or these other culture issues, they become completely different people altogether. Discuss this with me. I mean, I, I just think people slip into these ideas faster than you might think. I mean, I hate to say that it comes down to raw intelligence because I really do love people, but I think certain people are just susceptible to misinformation. And there's a part of their brain that just allows fake information to come to them via Facebook. They're totally lost in their own bubble and, and everyone they talk to believes a certain way and they get into a community. They have no one in their entire social media network who believes anything other than that the earth is flat. You know, it's just, it happens and the internet's set up that way. You know, computers and the way social media works now, it's literally set up that once you follow a rabbit hole, they're going to suggest things to you and you're going to get pushed further and further to the fringe and then you're going to buy stuff. You're going to buy products associated with that. You're going to buy a MAGA hat. It's all, as I'm sure as you know, it's all a business, right? It is. It is all a business. But then again, let's just go back to this. So you're sitting there and you're talking to one of these right wing extremists. And we saw it not too long ago with this shaman um, that was running throughout the Capitol. I talk about him all the time. He looked like Chewbacca in a bathing suit and a bikini. And if you speak to him now, and he's apologetic for what he did and, and how he behaved, had you not known that this is the same guy that went running through three quarters naked, holding a spear with a MAGA flag onto it. He seems perfectly normal, but put him into this environment of insanity, of sheer lunacy. They start screaming and yelling. And it's, it's very much reminds me of like playing football, right? Or being on, um, on a rugby team where prior to the game, you're all sitting in the locker room and the adrenaline starts running and my yelling gets you to yell. You start yelling, so the third guy starts yelling, and so on and so on, before which you don't even realize what the hell you're yelling about, and then you just head out to the field. That's what I see going on here. I see a bunch of people who just get together. They start spewing crazy conspiracy shit. They start yelling, right? I mean, think about the first guy who turned around and had that wooden stick and started smashing the Capitol window so that they could get in and open the door, right? And then two guys actually were pushing at each other to see who was going to kick the door down so that everybody can come through the main doors. This is not normal behavior. No, and you're right. It's, it's, it's the first football team for a president. It's the first team, you know, the MAGA, it's a team. They got colors, they got uniforms, they got slogans, you're right, you know, lock her up back the blue, build the wall, you know, it's, 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 it's a commodified team. So, I mean, people ask, was the Capitol riot plan? I don't know everything, but I know that group enough to know that, no, it wasn't planned. It was just like you said, it was adrenaline. It was, it was rage. It was the last chance effort to seize something that they felt like if they didn't do it, it'd be the end of democracy. Cause of course they see Joe Biden as like 
the ultimate far left candidate, which that's the part that confuses me the most. If I was to bring one point about the Trump train that I just find totally illogical is that Joe Biden is somehow like some kind of badass, like left wing psycho Che Guevara character. It's like, dude, no one on the far left supports Joe Biden at all. No one. He's really a placeholder, but that's how most people my age see it. Well, then what is it about him that they dislike the most? Because of everybody I think I've had on this show so far, I think you've probably spent more time one-on-one with these right-wing extremists than anybody. So yeah. while, you're, while you're interviewing them and spending time with them in their, in their turf, right? In an environment where they feel safe and secure, they must have expressed to you what it is about Joe Biden that they dislike. Now, I've heard people turn around and say to me, and I, I'm offended by it, that they didn't like Kamala Harris for many different reasons. Some of them turn around and say, I don't like her because she was a prosecutor. And all prosecutors are fucking assholes. Right. They they all they care about is their career and they're willing to like even what happened with me, with the prosecutors at the SDNY. All they want to do is lock you up for the purpose of having a high conviction rate. Okay, that was one reason. Another is they didn't like her because she's a female. And then a third is because she's black. Right. And then the fourth that she was married to a Jew. I mean, I've heard all of these and right and. I sit there and I say to myself, huh, now not every prosecutor is a piece of shit, right? And how could you dislike somebody because they're female? I mean, everybody comes from a mom, right? Uh, and everybody has a female in their life. Everybody has to acknowledge that what's the difference on color, right? I mean, it's, and what's the difference who you marry to? I mean, it's just the, the ideology that these people were spewing. I just, me at least, I find so reprehensible that I don't even have answers for them other than to shake my head in disgust. Now you have had the opportunity to speak to some of the most extreme right wingers that are out there. What is it about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that they've told you that they dislike? Well, I think one thing to really think about with some of these people, especially on the QAnon side, they've been targeted by this really sinister group of people, I don't know, who are, who are targeting what seems to be working class and elderly white people in middle America, mostly, with this conspiracy shit. They think that you know Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are pedophile Satanists who want to bring forth a new world order, one world government, and uh, use the vaccine to put microchips in us and then control, ultimately control us and bring forth the Luciferian eternal agenda. Let's stop for one second here. Let's just talk about the vaccine, because the, this whole cannibalistic, cabalistic, you know, that to me is just batshit crazy. And these, I think, are people who have serious mental problems, if that's in fact what they can believe. But let's talk about the vaccine, because that's something I could understand. People say, well, you know, maybe it's going to take time off of our lives so that we have a zero population growth, or that there's some formula inside there that will be able to control your mind. Okay, these are people also who have some serious issues. But 
the vaccine is an unknown. That I will grant them. But the person who promoted the vaccine was the person that they are standing up for. And that's Donald Trump. And let's not forget, Donald Trump truly in his mind fucking believes that he should get the Nobel Peace Prize based upon the vaccine. So how is it that they can rationalize in their minds that this is a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris issue when it comes to the vaccine, when the guy who actually pushed it for its creation is Donald Trump, the person that they're standing behind? Well, I think you touched on, touched on this in your book. And it's that one, once you're under the Trump spell, you know, he can do no wrong, right? It's kind of what you said. You know, That's once right. you bought into the mythology of the man and, and his stature as a boss and, and you're sort of in that world of thinking, it doesn't matter if he lies to you. It doesn't matter if he goes back on his word. It doesn't matter if he does something that put your life in danger. He has an effect of just having people like, you know what? Whatever. That's the man. And you talked about that a lot, which is I thought was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I always talk about the cult of Trump. But going back to the vaccine, the part that I find just so wild, because you're not the first person that I have heard talk about people's concerns about the vaccine. The vaccine is created by a series of pharmaceutical companies. We're talking about whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, now Johnson and Johnson, and it's not a it's not the byproduct of anything that Joe Biden has done. It's by these pharmaceutical conglomerates that have done it and Trump was successful. You got to give him, you know, you got to give him props where props are deserved. He turned around and he fast-tracked the vaccine, which was the right thing to do. Of course, where he fucked up and fucked up royally was there was no vaccination rollout plan. So great, you got the vaccine, but you're not rolling it out properly. And, you know, that's a, that's a whole nother topic. But my question goes, again, back to this vaccine issue. How even could somebody, whether it's Donald Trump, convince you that the vaccine is going to be a mind control drug when he's not even the one who had anything to do with it. Q and QAnon has evolved past Trump now. They don't even see Trump as their savior anymore. So that school of thought is continuing without, without their man. Um, Anti-vax sentiment is a, a huge across the country too, not even also in the black community because of how they've been you know, mistreated by medical experimentation and whatnot. So I, I, think that, I think most people will take the vaccine. Are you going to take it? Uh, I will if um, I'm offered to it. I, I First of all, I have to. I have um, comorbidities that if I ended up contracting the coronavirus, there's a greater percentage chance that I will die, which is why I was released um, from Otisville and put on home confinement. Um, and I still have friends who, you know, come by. I have very specific rules in terms of who can come by. I have to know that they did have a, uh, a test to make sure that they're COVID free because I really cannot afford to contract this virus. For me, it would be really problematic. Now, um, let's go, we're getting right back into this as you recently interviewed the musician Ariel Pink on your Break Check podcast. Much of the interview had him in a state of despair over his own perceived cancellation in culture and his larger views around the election having been stolen. Most of what he said, frankly, didn't make any sense, and it was like listening to a man mentally unravel. 
I found it fascinating in how he spent most of the time justifying his own views to himself. I'm curious if you find this often when discussing both Trump and the election with his supporters that they find ways to justify his actions and their support for him in a way that makes sense only to them. Now, I did a lot of this in my book, Disloyal. I tried to explain, but what's your take on this? Well, I think that for a lot of people, the right wing, because it's so anti-cancel culture, can be an out for a lot of people that have gotten canceled. And one thing about Ariel Pink to know is that he has had some curious allegations, sexual infidelity stuff about his character for, for some years now, from what I've heard. And he kind of became right wing after that. You know, I think that when, when people are held accountable for bad things they've done and canceled, so to speak, which is more common in like left wing art world they're very likely to turn to the right wing as a community that will not cancel them. So I feel like for a lot of people who are like, do shitty stuff, you know, get bad reputations for being kind of a dirtbag as they proceed throughout their career, you know, people start saying, I don't, I don't like that guy. He's a piece of shit. You know, people on the left, musicians, artists, stuff like that. They transition into the right wing because that's like a, a safer space if people think you're an asshole. So I think for Ariel Pink, him being a Republican and stuff like that has much more to do with his own pre-Trump cancellation than it does with his actual support for the president. That's what I got. I cut, I had to cut a lot of stuff out from that podcast because it was like uh, pretty disturbing, but he just talked about weird shit. What did you find the weirdest thing that came out of his mouth, whether you included it in the podcast or not? Actually, I'd be more curious about the stuff that wasn't in it. I found things that he had said on the podcast to be, like you just said, disturbing was there more disturbing stuff that came out of his mouth yeah he just said a lot of stuff about you know basically said that any women any woman who like accuses a man of sexual assault without um going to the police should be like sent to jail or something because she's like putting that dude's reputation at risk he was just saying a lot of stuff like that like kind of like a abuser defensive shit that like i didn't want to have in my podcast and it was just making me mad uncomfortable because you know he was just saying all this stuff he's like he was just criticizing the me too movement in a way that obviously was like about himself you know what i mean he's just like he was, he was like i don't know I, I felt like i didn't i don't know i just didn't want to certain stuff just irks me and that's one of those things you know Andrew, you're a better person than i am because i would have put it in not only would i have put it in i would have blocked it and i would have started the entire conversation with it you know Kyle, you can manipulate right the um you know you just copy and paste the sound into it and i would have moved that i would have moved that question right to the very first question off the rip from the conversation i'll tell you why cuz like you i take i take real offense to that notion i mean it's really incredible that somebody who could be an abuser themselves sits there and wants to attack the person that was abused simply because it makes them feel better about themselves. And it says a lot about him. And without that type of knowledge being put out there, then people don't know. And then there are people that will actually follow him as a musician. I don't know him as a musician. Maybe he's talented. Maybe he's like the Richie Blackmore of guitar, right? I, I don't know who he is, nor do I really care who he is. But what I care about is there might be people that follow him as a musician without fully realizing the type of person. You know, I believe that musicians and athletes and, you know, people in positions of public power have a responsibility greater than just performing their, you know, their trade, right? And there's a certain 
way that they should behave. Now, that's not to say that, you know, somebody can't make a mistake. I don't know if you just saw this. They, they arrested Bruce Springsteen for a DWI in New Jersey. Supposedly he had like one shot of tequila. Now, I've met Bruce Springsteen once, and he's not a small guy. Right. So I can assure you one shot of tequila is not going to make Bruce Springsteen an alcoholic, nor is Bruce Springsteen an alcoholic. So why did they have to make him, you know, into the poster child now for DWIs? I don't know the answer. I don't have the facts on the case. But my point is drinking and driving is a problem. And I think virtually, you know, many of us know people who have died in accidents either caused by them or as the result of somebody else's DWI. I know one of my high school friends, you know, was died as in the DWI, and he was actually the guilty guy uh, into it, right? And, you know, we, we all know people um, who have passed. And, you know, it's, it's a problem. And I do believe that, especially, you know, people who have that platform should really hold themselves out in a way that's greater than what they would normally be. Now, again, that's my position. But like I would have liked to have heard on the podcast about all of the other crazy shit that came out of his mouth uh, because it's important. Right. I guess I felt like it, it came out so fast that I didn't really challenge it enough. It was my first episode of the podcast. And like he was saying all this shit I didn't expect him to say. And I was just like, I listened to it back. and like, I wish I had been like, what the fuck? But I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know. I just was caught off guard because I didn't think he was that big of an asshole. But you know. So Andrew, let me give you let me give you a little advice because you know this podcast is actually doing really, really well. I mean, yeah. we're like number 35 on all podcasts. What I would do if I was you, <laughs> here's some free advice from the fixer, the former fixer, right? I would actually put the whole thing out uncensored. I would go ahead and I would redo it, put it out uncensored. Let the world know exactly the ideology of this individual. Now, I'm not saying that people will walk away from him. Maybe people will become attracted you know, to somebody who's an anti-Me Too movement. I don't know, right? None of us know. But me personally, I put out the uncensored version of my first podcast. That's what I would do. All right, I'll consider it, man. You, you got me thinking. Yeah, okay, good. So look, as we're now wrapping up towards the hour, I have just another one or two questions for you here. You spent time with Bigfoot believers, QAnon supporters, coronavirus deniers, and Proud Boys. Not to lump people together, but have you found any sort of common denominators or beliefs that extend from group to group? Is there a common denominator to these people? Loneliness, man. That's the one that's the one issue. It's all about loneliness. I think the main issue that drives people into insane communities is they get lonely, they get kind of crazy, and they find people that they can, you know, have very niche interest with like flat earth you know like you got to be off the deep end already kind of buried in your computer and you find people who you feel like people just want friends man and if you're kind of a lonely strange dude or girl and you have a hard time making friends in the you know regular world you take digital deep dives and you decide that like this community will you know, give you your little your little zone of people that's the common that's why anyone goes to a friend people just want to be loved and appreciated have friends to check up on them. People are just, you know, we're simple animals in a sense, I think. And so the fringe on all directions is just people looking for community because they, I bet you they were on the fringe before they became a part of that, that particular fringe. Like they're probably out there in the first place. You know, but there's so many things that these 
people have to, whether you believe something or, you know, I don't care, you're a Bigfoot believer. Personally, I don't give a shit. You, I don't give a shit if you believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I don't believe it. I don't care if you believe in aliens. None of that makes a difference to me. But here's something that really everybody, and now this gets to the part where I was talking about, like Proud Boys and the Wolverine uh, Watchmen and the whole group of these right-wing sort of militia MAGA groups. I sat and I watched um, yesterday and today on the impeachment trial, and I'm listening at first to Representative Jamie Raskin, who I met once while I was testifying um, up in Washington. And I listened to his impassioned speech, knowing that he had just lost his son, knowing that he had family there on the day of the insurrection, and you heard the pain in his voice. Now, I don't care if you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're independent. I don't care if you've never voted a day in your life. As a human being, to hear the pain in his voice, you have to have some sort of an emotion. How do these people, let me go one step further, listening to Eric Swalwell, who gave a second impassioned speech about what was going on there, showing the video of the movement, the smashing, the fear in the eyes of some of these officers, the sound of that officer who was trapped in the door, basically being squeezed to death, or the officer that they were beating with a hockey stick, right? Or the one officer that was by himself and leading them away from where, they, where the, um, the hearing was taking place. You have to be able to sympathize as a human being, again, regardless of political affiliation, or even while you were there. And then listening finally the, to Stacey Plaskett's, you know, experience and, and her impassioned speech about impeachment. I don't understand where the loss, where the common denominator could be loneliness as opposed to humanity. Where did something go wrong here? I guess, I guess time will tell. I mean, that's something I'm going to look into. I'm making a documentary now trying to figure that out, you know how misinformation has taken hold of so many people. And uh, I think it will help to humanize a lot of these people too. You know, not everybody, but a lot of people. Which people are you referring to? A lot of the people who have been, you know, wrapped up in conspiracy propaganda and genuinely believe that there's something that evil happening in, in the Capitol and in Hollywood and, and everything. I mean, these people truly believe that, you know, the, the same thing that would make, you know, a normal person cry and get scared. Like they really think this stuff is happening. You know, and they think it's true and people around them think it's true. You know, that is something we need to diagnose from a human perspective. How are these people believing this, this kind of stuff? That's a serious thing that we need to be like, yo, this is not, this is not, we're not in a good place. If that's, uh, if a large percentage of Americans believe in some of this, this, this key stuff, I mean, it's like, that's bad. Man. You think drugs also plays a part of this? Do you find that in any of these right-wing conspiracy groups or a bunch of guys that are sitting around with some form of a hallucinetic drug or some type of drug? Now, forget about the alcohol, because that uh, I've seen myself, right? It's some of these that they have these, these um, alcohol binge bashes. I'm talking about hard drugs. You know, is that, does any of this come into play? 
or is this just sort of people? Not really. Not it depends what the age range age range is. Generally, no, I don't think there's much drug use. But you know, obviously the QAnon shaman was like a, a in the peyote or something. Yeah, no, not huge. I mean, the UFO community and you know the Bigfoot community and the flat earth. There's a lot of drugs involved there. But now nah, with with the MAGA train, I don't think it's too too drugged out. But hey, maybe behind closed doors, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Well, Andrew, let me thank you for your insight. Please be safe as you continue to investigate, you know, these right-wing groups because I hate to say it, they're they're dangerous and they're willing to use violence as we have seen um on January 6th and at other times. So please be safe. Um thank you for coming on the show and I really do appreciate your insight. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I hope you stay in touch. We definitely will. Let me know how that documentary is All going right, thanks, too. Man. And now for today's Maya Culpa. My conversation with Andrew Callahan has left me feeling incredibly shook up. How do we move forward as a nation if tens of millions of Americans not only reject the basic facts, but support an entirely made-up reality that, at its core, promulgates extreme violence as one of its basic tenets? The political world in which I was born was smashed to bits today by Republican senators who now swear their allegiance not to the Constitution of the United States of America, but to the MAGA mob, to QAnon, and worse, to Donald Trump himself. To not hold Trump accountable for what happened will only serve to embolden those who see what happened on January 6th as a legitimate response to a legitimate grievance birthed from a lie created by Donald Trump. We are now being held hostage by these people who threaten the fabric of our democracy. We must stop treating this group like they have the right to be heard. They don't. Their entire belief system is morally bankrupt, racist, and insane. They have destroyed confidence in our electoral system and created a pathway to disrupt future elections by simply announcing that the whole thing was rigged if their side doesn't win. But they too are being manipulated. These groups seek to prey upon their perceived lack of power, their fear and sense of alienation. They exploit their lack of social connection and economic status in a way that leaves them vulnerable to extremist and apocalyptic ideologies. This will persist well beyond Donald Trump unless we take the proper steps to shut it down now. If not, history will look back at this time, not as some blip or aberration, but the prelude to something far more sinister. And thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mayor go